Hello, your friendly neighborhood host of the History of Comic Books podcast, J.T. Wheatley here, back again for another episode continuing the history of black characters in comic books. When we last left off, we had covered the beginning of black characters introduced in the American comic book and ended with the, most, with the DC creation of Cyborg, and now we're going to keep going further down the list. One series that broached the once taboo subject of interracial relationships was Cloak and Dagger, who were created by Bill Mantle and Ed Hennigan, first appearing in Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, number 64, on March of 1982. They will later get their own series that would last from 1983 to 85, featuring the adventures of Tyrone Johnson, Cloak, and Tardy Bowen, Dagger. In their origin, Johnson and Bowen are young runaways who become fast friends before being kidnapped and forced to undergo drug experimentation that results in their powers. Cloak's powers emerged from the darkness that needed to be fed by the light, while Dagger's created a light that needed to be burnt off every 24 hours. As a result, on top of becoming lovers, they became codependent, as they both needed each other to live while also becoming a metaphor for the drug epidemic. They got their powers from a drug experiment, after all. In fact, Cloak and Dagger would frequently fight against drug dealers as a result, and while they no longer have their own series, they have become significant supporting players in the Marvel Universe, making appearances in everything from the Infinity Gauntlet to Civil War. Most recently, they got their own live-action TV show on Freeform, which premiered on June 7, 2018, with Olivia Holt playing Dagger and Aubrey Joseph playing Cloak, part of the larger MCU film TV line. Black Goliath made his presence known, first as Bill Foster in The Avengers number 32 in September of 1966, created by Stan Lee and Don Heck, and then as Black Goliath in Luke Cage, Power Man number 24 in April of 1975, whose persona was created by Tony Isabella and George Tuska. Essentially a black version of the Ant-Man, he has the power to greatly increase his size. Dr. Foster was a biochemist from Los Angeles who was hired by Dr. Hank Pym, Ant-Man, to be his assistant, helping him with size-changing Pym particles. Soon, Foster was harnessing the particles for himself to become his own hero, Black Goliath, who can grow to a height of 15 feet with great strength. Foster would become another consistent hero in the Marvel Universe, joining the Avengers and Defenders at various points until his death in Civil War No. 4 by Clore, the clone of Thor. However, he had a nephew, Tom Foster, an MIT student who takes up his uncle's mantle with the help of Bet Black Panther, appearing in the Marvel Comics and has appeared in the Marvel Comics on ever since. Bill Foster is set to make his big screen debut in Ant-Man and the Wasp on July 16, 2018, to be played by Lawrence Fishburne. At DC, Steel made his first appearance as part of the Reign of Superman story arc in The Adventures of Superman number 500, created by Louis Simonson and Joe Bogdanovich. Named John Henry Irons after the fabled black folklore character John Henry, a railroad spike driver who challenged the machine for his job. Henry won but died in the process. Steele even wields a hammer, a shizhammer like him. However, Irons is a brilliant former weapons maker who designed his own steel armor, much like Tony Stark slash Iron Man. Originally working for Ameritech Industries, he would design a powerful hand cannon that fell into the wrong hands and was used to kill innocent people. Realizing Ameritech was corrupt and would coerce him to make more weapons, Irons fakes his death and goes into hiding in Metropolis, where Superman saves his life, encouraging him to make something of it. Irons would later futilely try to help Superman when he fought Doomsday, only to be knocked unconscious and emerging from the rubble, muttering, I have to stop Doomsday. During the Reign of Superman storyline, John Henry Irons took over the Man of Steel series, where he would don his steel armor along with the Superman symbol and red cape to battle Ameritech and his former partner's lover, Dr. Angora Lepin, also known as the White Rabbit. 
He would actually be the second DC superhero known as Steel, following the footsteps of Commander Citizen Steel, a World War II hero created in Steel, The Indestructible Man by Jerry Conway and Don Heck back in 1978, now seen on the CW's Legend of Tomorrow TV series. After the end of Reign of Superman, Superman would naturally take the Man of Steel series back over with Steel, a name given to him by Superman himself, getting his own series from 1994 to 1998. He would be a consistent figure in Superman and the DC comic books in general, with him becoming Superman's top tech guru at one point, and before passing on the mantle of Steel to his niece, Natasha. Like many other DC characters, Steel has consistently made appearances throughout most mediums, perhaps most infamously in the movie Steel, released on August 15, 1997, and starring NBA basketball superstar Shaquille O'Neal in the title role. Originally meant to be a spinoff of the long gestating Death of Superman movie, it was eventually just released by itself on a $16 million budget, but grossing just $1.6 million. Horribly acted and made, it is widely considered one of the worst comic movies ever made. In 1993, an exciting prospect for black superheroes and characters was launched with Milestone Media, a comics line dedicated to black superheroes and set in the fictional universe of Dakota City. Created by a coalition of black writers and artists such as Joy McDuffie, Dennis Cowan, Michael Davis, and Derek T. Dingle, they believed minority characters were severely underused in comic books and created a line to address that. Christopher Paris was also originally part of uh, the development and helped and helped with it early on, but was intended to be editor-in-chief, but had to leave due to personal reasons. Davis would later leave in 1995 to, to form Motown Machine Works at Image, with Cowan quickly following to become editor-in-chief. While Milestone was financed by DC Comics, it was originally set to be a separate comic book line with DC retaining only the right to not publish any work if, if it objected to. Milestone owned the copyright and merchandising rights, with DC licensing the content for an annual fee and a share of the profits. McDuffie and the other creators created an extensive Bible detailing the backstory of the universe and the characters that would become known as the Dakotaverse. Much of this evolved around the Big Bang, which was detailed in Blood Syndicate No. 1, released on April 1993 by Joy McDuffie, Ivan Velez Jr., and Dennis Cowan, and Static No. 1 by Joy McDuffie and Robert L. Rob Washington III, in which the police used an experimental tear gas on a large gang war at Paris Island. Instead, it created a host of superheroes and villains that soon ever overran the city. The original line launched with comics Static, Hardware, Icon, and Blood Syndicate, with their first company crossover, The Shadow War, happening the following year, and spinning off into two new series, Shadow Cabinet and Zombie, with Cobalt soon afterwards. Milestone even crossed over with the DC proper in The Worlds Collide in 1994. The deal with DC had several advantages, since it gave Milestone the marketing and distribution might of one of the big two comic book publishers. However, there were some disadvantages, as they were criticized by some independent black comic book creators for selling out to a white company, while DC did editorialize some content, such as an issue of Static where he is seen kissing his girlfriend on his bed with unopened condoms seen in the background. DC objected to it on moral grounds, saying that they are using sex to sell comics, and Milestone covered up this image in response. McDuffie would always claim it was because DC had a problem with black sexuality at the time. From this comic book line, two of the most notable ones was Icon and Static. Icon, who first appeared in Icon No. 1 on May of 1993, created by Joy McDuffie and M.D. Bright, was notable with how much he mirrored Superman in look and powers, but had a much different origin. While an alien like Superman, Icon instead landed in 1859 America at the height of slavery and is christened Augustus Freeman by his adopted slave mother, Marion. 
In the present, he is Augustus Freeman IV, having aged very slowly, and now working as a conservative corporate lawyer, only using his powers to perform quiet acts of charity. However, he is soon encouraged by his more liberal sidekick, Rocket, a teenage superhero who uses alien technology for, to use his powers for the benefit of society and become a superhero. Arguably the most popular character from Milestone, though, was Static, who made his first appearance in Static No. 1 on June 1993, created by Dwayne McDuffie, Dennis Cowan, Michael Davis, and Derek Dingle, about Virgil Ovid Hawkins, a normal teenager who develops electrical powers after being exposed to a radioactive chemical, very much the Spider-Man Peter Parker mold of the line, down to being a comic book geek and a RPG geek as well. So successful was the character they eventually got his own cartoon series, Static Shock, that ran from September 23rd, 2000 to May 22nd, 2004 for four seasons and 52 episodes. The series was part of the larger DC animated universe, leading to the character to appear in Justice League Unlimited, and to help, which also helped revive interest in Milestone Comics, which had been canceled after the line faltered in 1997 due to the larger speculation crash of the mid-1990s. Eventually, Milestone characters would be incorporated into DC Universe in 2008, while also re- revealing the Earth-M universe, where the original Dakotaverse still exists. We'll plan to launch new titles in 2018. A forgotten and underused black character is Nubia, Wonder Woman's twin sister, who in the retcon of her origin, it was revealed that not one but two women were created from clay. Diana came from white clay, and Nubia came from black clay. Created in Wonder Woman number 204 in January 1973 by Robert Knagger and Don Heck, it is considered one to be DC's first black superwoman, though many actually attribute it to the more traditional Teen Titans character Bumblebee, who first appeared in Teen Titans number 45 on December 1976, created by Bob Rozazaskis, Irv Novak, and Joe's Dobo. Nubia would make various appearances throughout the comic books until the Crisis of Infinite Earths in 1996, which rebooted the continuity and erased her from existence. In 1999, a rechristened Nubia would appear in Wonder Woman Annual No. 8, created by Dozell Young and Brian Denham, who is no longer Diana's twin sister, but Amazon's first champion. She, she was even set to appear in the Wonder Woman TV series of the 1970s to be played by actress Teresa Graves, but when the show was moved from ABC to CBS, that idea was next. In the X-Men back at Marvel, Storm made her first appearance in 1975 in Giant Size X-Men No. 1 by Lynn Wein and Dave Cockrum, created by a part of a larger, more multicultural team. Her alter ego being Aurora Monroe, she is a Kenyan princess and mutant with the power to control weather. Orphaned at a young age, she lived as a pickpocket before finally being recruited by Professor X to join the X-Men. Storm is considered by many to be not only one of the first major superwomen of African descent, but arguably Marvel's most important female character, often getting comparisons to Wonder Woman at DC. In fact, in DC vs. Marvel miniseries crossover of 1996, it was Wonder Woman that Storm faced off against. Storm would have a steady presence throughout the Marvel Universe, at one point even marrying T'Challa, Black Panther, and becoming the Queen of Nakanda, though that title was lost when they later divorced. She remains the mainstay with the X-Men, often portrayed as a team leader and as a quintessential member, despite not being an original one. In other media, Storm has appeared in nearly every cartoon featuring the X-Men, from the original X-Men Saturday morning cartoon in the 1990s to Wolverine and the X-Men. 
She made her live-action debut in X-Men the Movie on July 14, 2000, played by actress Ahali Berry, who would continue to play the character in X-Men, number, X-Men 2, 2003, X-Men The Last Stand in 2006, and X-Men Days of Future Past in 2014. In 2016, Alexander Ship would play a younger version of the Storm in X-Men Apocalypse, along with making a cameo in Deadpool 2 in 2018. Outside of Marvel and DC, Frank Miller and Dave Gibbons created Martha Washington in the miniseries Give Me Liberty in 1991. Set in a dystopian future where America has been split into several extremist factions, the comic begins with her birth and follows her career as a revolutionary and war hero who decides to defeat the United States. Part political satire, at one point the Surgeon General was revealed to be an evil robot. It ended up being one of the most popular independent series ever produced, leading to several sequels by Miller and Gibbons. Brother Voodoo was introduced at Marvel in Strange Tales, number 169, on September 1973, created by Stan Lee, Lynn Wein, and John Romita Sr. Reportedly, Stan Lee came up with the general idea of a superhero with voodoo black magic powers, and Roy Thomas proposed the name Dr. Voodoo, which Lee immediately replied back, Brother Voodoo. When in Romita was given the job of fleshing out the details, who would give him the name of Jericho Drum, an American-educated uh, psychologist of Haitian descent, who returns home to Haiti, where he takes up the Brother Voodoo mantle. This was, a, this was heavy set in black voodoo voc- folklore, and let the many letters from actual voodoo practitioners attacking the character. Wayne would dismiss this, stating that Marvel often stacked the letters pages with the most extreme responses, though his original depiction of being barefooted was rather justified. While he would become a lesser-known character after his initial run in Strange Tales by Lynn Wein and Gene Collin ended, he would be revived in the 2000s and even get the name Dr. Voodoo when he inherited the mantle of Sorcerer Supreme from Dr. Strange. He even got his own series, Dr. Voodoo, Avenger of the Supernatural, in 2010 by Rick Remainder, but was canceled after just five issues. In the ultimate line at Marvel, a separate universe in which the company tried to start fresh with their characters, Nick Fury was changed to a black man modeled after actor Samuel L. Jackson. This was, of course, not an uncommon practice, as previously mentioned, as Luke Cage's look in the Marvel's miniseries in 1994 by Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross used Jim Brown as a physical model. However, it would be a, have larger consequences when Samuel L. Jackson himself would be cast to play the role, first appearing in the after credit sequence of the Iron Man movie in 2008, and has played the character ever since in the MC movies and TV shows. This was even incorporated into the regular Marvel's line when Nick Fury Jr. was introduced in the miniseries Battle Scars in 2012, the black son of the current Nick Fury, who as a result has the Infinity Formula, the drug that keeps uh, Fury youthful, in his DNA. Created by Max Fraction, Chris Yost, Scott Eden, Colin Bunn, and Paul Neary, the series also served to introduce Phil Coulson from the films into the, the an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV series in Marvel Comics as well. The Ultimate Line created another significant black character in August 2011 when Miles Morales was introduced in Ultimate Fallout No. 4, created by Brian Michael Bendis and Sarah Penelli, who stepped in to become the new Spider-Man when Peter Parker died in the Death of Spider-Man storyline. In fact, the son of a black man and a Puerto Rican woman, side note, Morales would only be the second Hispanic character to take up the Spider-Man mantle, with Miguel O'Hara, who is of Mexican descent, being the first in Spider-Man 2099 back in 1992. While this sparked controversy, many praised the decision, including Stan Lee, who liked the idea of creating more positive lower models for blacks and Latinos. While the Ultimate Line was ended, Morales was incorporated into the regular Marvel Universe after the Secret Wars events of 2015, becoming a member of the champion superhero team and even romancing Spider-Gwen. 
He is set to make his big screen debut on December 14th, 2018 with the animated film Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. In a controversial miniseries, Truth, Red, White, and Black of 2003 by Robert Morales and Kyle Baker, it delves into illegal army experimentation on black recruits during World War II to try to recreate the super soldier serum that, Captain Mer- that created Captain America. Taking inspiration from the real-life Tuskegee experiments in which black men in Alabama were given free health care under the guise to treat their syphilis, only so the effects of the disease could be exerted over the long term. The series depicts a number of recruits dying in the process until only Isaiah Bradley remains. At one point, he steals a Captain America outfit and shield with the intention of destroying the super soldier efforts by the Nazis, only to be captured and brought to Hitler himself, who intends to dissect him to get his secrets of the super soldier formula. He later escapes back to America, only to be court-martialed in prison in Leavenworth until he's pardoned by President Eisenhower. Bradley becomes a mythical character in the Marvel Universe, the black Captain America, as he was, visited and admired by real-life figures in like Malcolm X and Marvel's and also fictional ones like Marvel's Black Panther. He even attended his wedding to Storm. Isaiah Bradley also had a nephew, Elijah Bradley, who becomes Patriot in Young Avengers, claiming to have superpowers but is in fact using MGH, mutant growth hormone. However, when he is critically injured on a mission, his uncle gives him a blood transfusion that leads to him getting superpowers. While in prison, his DNA was also extracted to try to recreate the super soldier serum, which led to Josiah X, who grew up to be a Muslim minister and taking on the monitor of justice, who would then become a founding member of the crew in 2003 by Christopher Priest and Joe Bennett, which also consisted of Jim Rhodes, White Tiger, Justice, of course, and Junta, who was a black Muslim. According to the priest, the group, the group consisted of those who had lost families to street crime and set out to right the wrongs, though the series would be canceled after just seven issues. Black Panther would later reform a new crew with Luke Cage, Misty Knight, and Storm, and Manifold. Of course, it wasn't just superheroes that, were feature, that featured black characters in comic books, but real-life ones as well. Two notable examples being the Harlem Hellfires by Max Brooks and Kenyon White on April 1st, 2014, and the March series by John Lewis, Andrew Aiken, and Nat Powell. Hellfires is about the famed all-black 369th Infantry that served in World War I, detailing both their heroics on the battlefield and the racial discrimination they faced in the Army. March is about the life of civil rights activist and current congressman John Lewis, detailing his life and career. Both books received universal acclaim in the awards, with March Book 2 winning the Eisner Award for Best Reality-Based Work in 2016. They are prime examples of comic book medium teaching history, even with thornier subjects. In film and TV, a major influence with the black characters was the casting of Eartha Kitt, noted singer and activist, in the later episodes of the Adam West Bat- Batman series as Catwoman. While Julie Newmar would set the standard for the role with her Amazonian performance of the character, Kit added a sexual purring nature to the, to the performance that would later be imitated by Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns and Halle Berry in the infamous Catwoman movie. An original black superhero appeared on Fox in 1994-1995 in Mantis, which was launched with a TV movie in which the title character is crippled during the L.A. riots. Created by Sam Raimi and Sam Hamm, one of the writers of the Batman movie franchise, Miles Hawkins is a brilliant inventor who creates a suit that gives him the ability to walk, along with superhuman strength and other abilities, along with a helmet that looks like the head of a mantis, hence the name. While having a gritty appeal due to his, to his origin, it would only last one season due to low ratings and varying in crazy directions. By the later episodes, he was traveling to the future and battling invisible dinosaurs. 
One of the most underrated black comic book characters is Spawn, created by Todd McFarlane in May of 1992, about a former special ops soldier, Al Simmons, who was killed and sent to hell for his sins. There he cuts a deal with the devil to return to his wife, but like most deals with such nature, Simmons returns to Earth, but five years later, with no memory of his past, and is now a hellspawn in service of the demon Malbogia. Most significantly, Al's wife, Wanda, has moved on with his best friend, Terry Fitzgerald, who has married him and now have a daughter, Cyan. While the comic would make Simmons race wouldn't make Simmons race the focus of the story, it did play a part in t- from time to time. For example, in issue number two, Simmons tries to use his, use his powers to change his demon face back to his human one, but when he does, it gives him the face of a white, blonde-haired man, once again showing the Faustian levels of his bargain with Malbosia. Simmons keeps using his powers to change it back to his black face to no avail. Spawn would later get his own movie on August 1st, 1997, with Michael J. Watt playing Al Simmons slash Spawn. However, race was only suggested, even in the more acclaimed HBO animated series, though it should be noted all the principal characters were black, except in the movie, where Terry was played by a white actor, D.B. Sweeney, along with also being more gruesome and violent than most comic book fare at the time. A current new Spawn revamp is currently in development. Black superhero films would bounce from parodies from Meteor Man, Meteor Man, Blank Man, and even The Awful, such as previously mentioned Steel. Meteor Man was released on August 6, 1993, by noted filmmaker and actor Robert Townsend, whose highly acclaimed Hollywood Shuffle of 1997 remains one of the best satires of the black experience in Hollywood, and attempted to create a black Superman satire but fared poorly. Blankland, released the following year on August 19th, also took a satirical route with Damon Wayans playing a nerdy inventor that becomes a superhero to fight crime in his neighborhood, only to fail at the box office as well. However, a breakthrough for black superheroes and Marvel would be Blade on August 21st, 1998, starring Wesley Snipes as the title character, becoming the first bona fide hit for the genre in Marvel movies in general. Created by Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan back in the Tomb of Dracula, number 10, on July 1973, he was a half-vampire, half-man, later called a daywalker, due to his mother being killed by a vampire, Deacon Frost, while she was giving birth to him. With his powers, he would later become a vampire hunter and a consistent character throughout the Marvel Universe, though he would never find full success on on his own in comics. However, in films, his first movie ended up being a giant success, grossing $130 worldwide on a $45 million budget. It helps he receive solid report from the Bush Wright, playing Dr. Karen Jensen, notably not just because she plays an ally, an ally and not just a love interest to Blade, but also a successful doctor who holds her own when the vampires come. The film's success led, of course, to a sequel, Blade 2, on March 22, 2002, but from director Guillermo del Toro, and Blade Trinity on December 8, 2004, becoming Marvel's first successful film franchise as well. It even spawned a TV series for Spike TV, which ran in 2006, but only for 13 episodes, with Kirk Sticky Jones taking over the role. While Marvel now owns the rights to the character again, no immediate plans have been made to bring him into the MCU, though Wesley Snipe has mentioned he has had meetings with the company, possibly to evolve Blade's daughter, Fallon Gray, who was revealed to be a part of the all-new Marvel in 2016, but the series was never released when its writer left for DC. An original and highly acclaimed superhero film came in Unbreakable on November 4, 2000, with Samuel L. Jackson, who of course would go on to play Nick Fury in MCU, as Mr. Glass who was ultimately revealed to be the supervillain of the picture. He is set to reprise his role in the upcoming sequel. Hancock also premiered on July 2, 2008, with Will Smith as the title character, playing a superhero with no memory of his past and a drinking problem to boot. 
While the first half of the film was highly acclaimed for its satirical take on superheroes and Will Smith's performance, it changed its tone in the second and failed to deliver on the promise that was set up. One controversy with, with films that did arise, in, of course, in the Greek crisis of problems with movies, is the casting of black actors and traditionally white characters. Whether it be Michael Clark Duncan as Wilson Fix in Daredevil on February 14, 2003, Idris Elba as Hamdol in Thor on May 2, 2011, or Zendaya as MJ in Spider-Man Homecoming on July 7, 2017, though her character would later be revealed to Michelle, not Mary Jane. While some complained this was a case of social justice and that Hollywood would never cast a white actor to play a black character, it should be pointed out, as this episode hopefully has, that many, that the point of many, if not all, black comic book characters is that their main feature of identity is their race. Simply put, characters like Jon Stewart, Green Lantern, and Blade were created to be black comic book characters, so to have a different way to play them would significantly change to be a disservice to that character. Unlike when Duncan played Kingpin, or Von Dekeris Hall played Ben Yurick in the first season of Daredevil in 2015. Plus, many creators, most notably Stan Lee, have expressed openness to do the recasting, pointing out that if he had created these characters today, they would have been more culturally and racially diverse to reflect the times. should be noted that Flash Thompson is also played by actor Tony Rivardiari of Guatemala descent in Spider-Man Homecoming. However, it should be noted it gets more complicated with superheroes who do have black counterparts, such as Captain America with Justice or Spider-Man with Miles Morales. At one point, Will Smith was rumored to be up for the Captain America role for 2011, while Donald Glover also actively campaigned for the role of Spider-Man, with Stan Lee's approval. However, with the invention of Isaiah Bradley and Miles Morales, casting black actors in the roles of Steve Rogers and Peter Parker would negate the powers of those characters. Donald Glover did get past his cast in Spider-Man Homecoming as Aaron Davis, who comic book fans know as the Prowler and as the uncle of Miles Morales, who is said to be voiced by, and, the, and that character is also said to be voiced by Marcelo Ali in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the upcoming Miles Morales vehicle. As you can see, the history of black characters in comic books has been a complicated and often controversial one, just as, there, just as it has been in real life history. Nevertheless, they have progressed through the years, evolving from racist sidekicks to full-on superheroes and team leaders in their own right. Hopefully the medium, like history, which has progressed from a segregated society to one that elected a black president in 2008, will continue to progress that way as well. I would like to note that my main source for this, uh, these last two episodes was Super Black, American Pop Culture and Black Superheroes by Adilfu Onama. A more critical study of the history of black superheroes and comic book characters is still a great read for anyone interested in the, how they've been viewed throughout the years and comparisons of the, many of those I mentioned. Thank you, and go out and enjoy the comic book. My name is Mark McCrane. I'm the author of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives. I'm Dan Klink, co-host of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. The Best Saturdays of Our Lives features programming trends from the 1966 television season all the way through the last of the early digital age of the 1990s. On the show, if it's animated, we talk about it. Order your signed copy today at tbsool.com. And listen to the podcast at esonetwork.com and all podcast platforms. And now it's February 8th, uh, 2024, time for the favorite comic of the week. 
Birds of Prey, number six, by Kelly Thompson and Leonardo Romero, which concludes the first story arc as a Black Canary and her uh, Birds of Prey team managed to rescue her sister, Sin, from being possessed by a demon, but not in the way you expect, as it sets up a new status quo for Sin and Black Canary, and also setting up the uh, next adventure for the team. Thompson has a fantastic job just wrapping up his storyline, not only showing, bringing a nice conclusion to the story in a, in a kind of surprising way, but also saying the, the coming storyline, including introducing a classic Birds of Prey founding member who confronts Black Canary over why she wasn't asked to join the, this mission. And it's matched by, of course, Leonardo Romero's gorgeous art, which is the perfect compliment to Thompson's storytelling. He disappeared for an issue or two. He's back with the conclusion of his story. It's just action-packed and fantastic. Fits the tone of this series perfectly. And honestly, the, to- the comments of Thompson and Romero on this book is what makes it so great. And hopefully he sticks around for a while, because this has been a great run. And I can't wait to see where this series goes from here. All right, and with that, that's the uh, conclusion of this archive edition of the History Comics Podcast. Join me again next week where, uh, well, next week is uh, Valentine's uh, week, so I might uh, drop something a little different while still trying to continue the theme of Black History Month. But until then, uh, go yourself and join yourself a good comic book, and definitely check out Birds of Prey, because that's been a fantastic series and probably DC's best team book out right now. 